0: Over the last month, we've been in this series called Why Church, where we've been looking at what the Bible says about the church. We've been asking questions like, what is it, who is it for, and what should we look like? What should it look like? We've discovered that the church was actually God's idea, that he set it up to be the means by which he would continue the work that Jesus started. And we've seen that the church is primarily for God, but it's also for its members, those who are part of it, and also for its non-members, those who are not yet a part of the church. And last week, we saw that the church should look like a group of people who devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread or to communion, to fellowship and to prayer. And today, we're going to ask a very practical question. Then what's my part? What role do each of us play in this organism called the church? And to answer that question, we're going to look at some imagery that we get in the scriptures for what the church is. The church is often called the body of Christ. And it is. And by that we mean to say that each person who has given their life to Christ is a part of a larger whole that when working together forms a body or an organism that carries out the task of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus. This was God's design all along, to raise up a group of people who would carry on the mission and ministry of Jesus after his ascension. See, Jesus came in the flesh and lived a perfect and sinless life and modeled for us the life that God desires for us. But then he went to the cross at Calvary where he died and offered salvation to the entire world. But then he was buried, but three days later he arose from the grave never to die again, to show his power over sin and death. And see, after that, God could have very easily sent a myriad of angels to do the work of evangelism, but that's not what God did. Furthermore, God could have just used Jesus. I mean, he's risen from the dead, never to die again. He could walk through the rest of eternity all over the world and tell people about himself and about how he's offering salvation to anyone who would turn from their old life and, and, and make him Lord of their life. But that's not what God did. That was not God's design, nor was it his plan See, God's work of redemption, it started with Jesus, but then it moved to a proclamation, a message about Jesus, that he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world and Lord of all. And then that proclamation, which was centered around the person of Jesus, well, it calls and gathers a people, a people who respond to the proclamation and then who are committed to proclaiming that name to the nations. This was God's plan. God's plan. This is why Jesus gave us the mission in Matthew 28 that we should go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. God intended those who accepted Christ to continue to carry on the mission and the ministry of Christ. See, this imagery of the church as a body is seen in several places within the New Testament, but one of those is in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, And he, that is Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Or again, in Ephesians, it says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The first important aspect about this imagery that I want you to catch this morning is this. Christ is the head of the body, thus the head of the church. And what I mean is Jesus Christ is the authority and the leader of the church. And we, as members of the body, are in submission to his leadership. He, through his life and through laying the foundation with the apostles' teaching, has taught us how we should live, believe, uh, behave, act, and think This is what it means to be a Christian, that Christ is Lord, you belong to Christ, which means that he's the head and the authority. And just as in our own human bodies, the plans and purposes that are devised by the head or mind can only be carried out by the members of the body, so it is in the body of Christ. Christ as our head determines our mission and we as individual members of this body each have a part to play in carrying out Christ's purpose and mission through us. And because of this, every single person who surrendered their life to Christ has a duty to do whatever they can in their individual settings to further the work of the gospel. So any misconceptions that we may have that indicates that we don't have time or I've already done my duty, and and, and I can just sit passively by and watch others of the church do the work of ministry. It's simply a detriment to the mission and ministry that Christ has given the church to accomplish. See, the apostle Paul calls us, and he's speaking with apostolic authority given him by Jesus. He calls us a body, and I want you to catch what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, now you're the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. We, together, collectively as a whole, make up the body of Christ, and each person is a part of it. That means that if you're a Christian, you have a part in the body to play. But to answer our question for this morning, what's my part, specifically for each individual in this room, what role do you play in the body of Christ? My answer has to simply be, I don't know what your specific part is. However, I can say this, every person in this room who's made Christ Lord of their life does have a part to play, and that part comes in the form of a spiritual gift, and we can know this because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And then in verse 11, it says, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Did you catch verse 7? Each person is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Or here, verse 11, that He distributes them to each one just as He wills or determines it. That means that the Holy Spirit equips each Christian for service by giving them spiritual gifts. But part of the point that Paul's making here in 1 Corinthians is that not every person gets every single gift. However, every person does get at least one spiritual gift that they're to use for works of service. Let's look at some of those gifts that Paul mentions here in 1 Corinthians. He says, to one, there's given through the Spirit a a message of wisdom, to another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. And later in the chapter, he lists even more gifts. In verse 28, he says, God placed in the church, first of all apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Two other places in the New Testament are we given a list of spiritual gifts. One of those is in Romans, which says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's, encourage, if it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. And the other list, the last list that we get is in Ephesians, Ephesians 4.11 says, So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now, some of those gifts that are mentioned within that list involve miraculous powers like that of the apostles or or prophecy, the ability to predict the future, or supernatural knowledge or tongue speaking and and healing and performing other miracles. And although those things are intriguing and probably what stood out to you in the text— I'm not going to focus on those this morning. We're going to talk about gifts in general, not, in the, uh, not about the miraculous in particular. However, if you're interested to know what we believe about miraculous spiritual gifts or speaking in tongues, for example, I'd encourage you to reach out to us. You can, uh, on the back of your program or all of our emails, all the staff members, and you can email any of us. We'd be, uh, love to share with you about what we believe. But Paul's larger point and the point of this message is that everyone has a spiritual gift, whether they be miraculous or here, whether they not be miraculous, actually, most of the gifts inside of these texts are not miraculous at all. Some of them are just normal everyday gifts, like the ability to teach or, or, or lead or, or to preach the word or to assist in service in various ways. Now, it's important for us to understand those four texts that I read of 1 Corinthians and Romans and Ephesians, they are by no means exhaustive list of all the gifts that the Spirit gives. See, the Spirit gives abilities such as the one specifically mentioned in our texts. However, he can also give other gifts, like that of counseling or computer skills, gifts that have never existed before, however, they're needed to service the church today so as to reach people for the kingdom. But here's the problem. I can't get up here and tell you what your gift is you have to know and discover that for yourself. However, there are some things that I can say about all gifts. And the first one is this. You do have a spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit gives to each individual Christian just as he determines it. That's what 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says. All of these are work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines He doesn't give the same gift to each person. He is not biased, nor does he distribute these gifts based on merit or or some level of spirituality. The Holy Spirit, who is God, who's infinite in wisdom and sovereignty, he gives gifts as he wills and as he determines. But as a Christian, you do have a spiritual gift. You may have multiple spiritual gifts, but the idea is that you use this gift in a way to build up the church and to further the message of the gospel. Today, you may already know what your spiritual gift is. Perhaps it's a gift of teaching, and so you're leading one of our life groups here. You're teaching a group of kids or students. Maybe yours is a gift of hospitality, and so you're serving on our guest services or you're hosting a life group in your home. Maybe your gift is that of helps, where you're fulfilled wherever there's a need. You're just going to jump in and help out there, but whatever your gift is, you do have one. But perhaps you're thinking to yourself, "Well, but I don't know what my gift is, so should I just kind of wait until something happens? The answer to that is a resounding no. If you're someone who surrendered your life to Christ, you still have a spiritual gift. So you need to begin to search and figure out what that gift is. And I want to give you some pretty practical ways to do that. The first is to check out as many ministries here at Plum Creek that you can until you find a fit. Just look at the vast different opportunities for you to get involved and try them out until you find something that seems like a fit. The way to start that process is you can go to our website, plumcreekorg serve, and there's a form online that you can fill out. You'll put your contact info, you'll put some times that work for your schedule, and then you'll see all kinds of different serving opportunities here at the church. And I would encourage you to check as many of those that you might even slightly be interested in. And when you do, you're not saying I'm committing to these things for the rest of my life. No, you're just simply saying I I want some more information. I'm trying to discover what my gift is, and so I'm going to look out and, and just try out some different things and see where I may be passionate and where I may have some talents. But maybe you want some information even today I want to let you know, encourage you to stop by the information center after service. There are several different ministries out there with individuals who would love to talk to you about different service opportunities within their ministry. They'll give you different things, give you information about how you could get involved. But I encourage you, try them out. Try it out for a week or two, a couple of months until you find something that's a fit. Another way that you can discover your spiritual gift is by taking what's called the spiritual gift analysis test. Now, there are a lot of these out there. However, what it is is a series of statements that you read through and determine how each one best describes you by using a scale of 1 to 7. Now, if this is something you're interested in, you'd like to take this. There's actually copies of one out at the Information Center that you can grab after service. But this questionnaire, it it, it requires complete honesty and, and sincerity while answering the questions you answer with how you honestly feel each statement describes you, not how you want them to be true of your life. We actually did one of these in our life group. I encouraged all the members of our group to take this spiritual gift analysis, and I'm going to tell you, it was extremely encouraging to see everyone in our group come back and, and discover what their gifts were or maybe confirm what their gifts were. Some of, most of our group was already serving somewhere, so they were able to confirm what some of their gifts were. So I would encourage you to take this test, but the last kind of advice that I want to give you, or the third thing I want to give you for if you're searching to discover your spiritual gift is to get advice, wisdom, and confirmation from close and trusted friends. Once you've tested some areas of service or you've taken a spiritual gift test or you think that you, you have an idea of what your spiritual gift may be, be sure to talk with some close and trusted friends that know you well, who will be honest with you, See, having the advice and wisdom and confirmation of other people is a sure way of helping you to determine your spiritual gift. It assures that you're not wishing something to be true or allowing something to cloud your judgment. Seeking the wisdom of trusted and close friends will allow you to get a more unbiased perspective. I wish you guys could have been in the room the night that our life group discussed their spiritual gifts because this one person shared their spiritual gift Other people in the group will will kind of confirm and say, I totally have seen that in you. And maybe even share stories and examples of when they've seen that spiritual gift play out in that person's life. But the last thing I want to encourage you to do is if you're searching to figure out your spiritual gift is to pray. Pray that God will give you wisdom. Ask for opportunities for you to discover what your gift is and then don't just sit passively by and wait for something to appear in your hands. Start searching. Start asking other people's advice, but cover it in prayer. The Holy Spirit gives at least one gift to every single person who surrendered their life to Christ. So as a Christian, as Christians, we have a responsibility to discover what that gift is and then to use it. The second thing that's true about every single spiritual gift is that the spiritual gift should be used for the common good of building up the body of Christ. Paul says this, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. These gifts are for the common good. Whatever gift God has given you, he's given it to you not for the purpose of serving yourself or even the things that benefit you. He's given that to you for the purpose of serving others. That's the point of these gifts, serving others. A few chapters over in 1 Corinthians, Paul's dealing with a problem that the Corinthian church was having related to speaking in tongues, but in it he makes this point. I want you to catch it. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26 What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Other translations say edified. And that's what that word edification means. Building up, specifically building up in the faith. It's not a feeling of what makes one feel good or of uplift. or It's not a matter of emotion or private or personal experience. Rather, it is always the priority or the good to benefit the whole, the group. Edification is first reaching people with the gospel, but also edification is a natural result of evangelism because every single person has to mature in Christ. So our gifts should be used to edify, to to build up, to help one another mature in the faith. That's why church attendance is so important. It is here when we meet together together, that you'll get edified. And it's here when we meet together that you can edify one another. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Hebrews. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, this verse assumes that you have something to bring to the table when we meet together. That edification will take place here. Everyone in this room needs help in knowing how to live as members of the church. And so whatever gift you have, it should be used to contribute to the larger whole, to the group, to the members of the church. So this attitude of, what has the church got going on for me, it's just not seen within the early church, or at least it was never the intent of Christ when he established his church. Rather, the idea is that a part of this body, you seek not what's going on for you, but how you can use your gift to serve others. That was the attitude of Jesus. He said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And as a result, since that's the attitude of our our authority, it should be the attitude of us that we seek to serve others, to build them up in faith and in righteousness, in the knowledge of God and grace and to salvation, and build them up in Christ. If we begin to start looking in instead of looking out, we're losing sight of what the Lord desires for His church. The body's not functioning as the head intended. The third thing I want you to know about every single spiritual gift is that you should use your spiritual gift to help in accomplishing the mission that Christ gave his church. Not only is your gift to be used for the purpose of building up to edify the church, the overall direction of this whole body should be moving toward accomplishing the mission of Christ. And since that's the overall direction of the whole body, It means that each of its members should be using their gifts to help contribute to accomplishing the mission. I want you to catch this this morning. Reaching lost people for Christ is the very lifeblood of the church. Where the church is not evangelistic, it dies. Now, we're all familiar with the Great Commission that Christ commanded us to reach people who do not know him yet. We've already seen this verse, Matthew 28, where Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. But we have to understand that everyone in this church has to be working toward this goal. God chose the church as the means by which the name of Jesus would be preached to the nations. This mission is our lifeblood. It's our very heartbeat. And if you've been redeemed by Christ, you have an obligation to share that redemption with those around you. That's what we're about to here because that's what Jesus was about. And since he's the head, he's the authority, he's leading the charge, we're simply obeying. Every gift, every service, every ministry here in the church must be doing its part toward moving toward accomplishing the mission of the church. So if you're involved in a ministry or you feel like uh, you're doing a work here at the church and you don't see how it's helping to accomplish our mission of leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ, You need to ask yourself or the person leading the ministry, why am I doing this? How's this helping lead someone to Jesus? Many of you may know about, and some of you even may be a part of a ministry here that on the surface does not seem like it's doing anything to contribute to the mission. That ministry is our kids' curriculum prep team. This team is made up of a group of ladies who come in once a month or every other month to either cut out and prepare crafts or gather supplies for activities that will be used on Sunday morning in our kids' environment. Now, simply put, how does cutting a piece of paper or counting out 150 ping pong balls, for example, really lead someone to a life-changing relationship with Jesus? Well, it doesn't seem very convincing until you see the larger picture. Because these 15 ladies are able to support our small group leaders on Sunday mornings. Because those small group leaders, they're the ones that are teaching kids God's word. They're the ones that are sharing Jesus with them. And so now a small group leader doesn't have to come in on Sunday morning and spend the first 10 to 15 minutes preparing crafts, cutting things out, making copies. Rather, they can use that 10, 15 minutes to pour into kids, teach them more of God's word, and share the gospel with them. Furthermore, that entire week leading up, they they don't have to worry about getting all, making sure they have everything. Rather, they can focus on the lesson and and how they can keep kids engaged. And as a result, kids are hearing God's word, they're hearing the gospel, and they're responding in faith. Furthermore, because kids are kept engaged, parents feel comfortable leaving them there so that they can come in here and hear the message, hear the gospel, and they too can respond in faith. So, believe it or not, That cutting out 30 little baby Jesus for the Christmas craft or counting out 150 star stickers, even then, leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Furthermore, a byproduct of this ministry is that they serve together. They serve in community. And so as they're counting and cutting and gathering supplies, they're also able to build relationships with one another, encourage one another, hear about what's going on in each other's life, pray for one another, share each other's burdens. That is the church in action. The last thing that's true of every spiritual gift is that the church needs all of its members working together for the body to function and to accomplish its mission. And that means you. Listen to Paul's exhortation in 1 Corinthians. He says, Even so, the body's not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, each of one of them just as he wants them to be, so that there should be no divisions in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. That last phrase just grabbed my attention as I was preparing for this message. Each one of you is a part of it. We are a body, and a body needs all of its members working together to accomplish its mission. And I recognize there are many in this room who are serving and are actively involved in the ministries here, who are using their spiritual gifts to help accomplish the mission, to building up the church and reaching people with, for Jesus. Some giving several hours a week just to support the ministries here. And if you're one of those individuals, we are so thankful for you. Thankful for your commitment to the church and thankful for your commitment to our mission But this morning, I'm calling on every single individual in here. If you belong to Christ, you belong to the body. And if you belong to the body, you have an obligation to use your gift to help in accomplishing our mission here at the church. For example, if your gift is in teaching, you're a part of the body, and the body needs you. The body needs teachers to lead our life groups because we said life group is where discipleship's going to happen, where we're going to build relationships with one another, where we're not going to sit in rows, but sit in circles. But we need leaders, people who are going to lead and, and teach God's Word and encourage and build each other up. If you're a teacher, this body needs you. It needs you in, in our kids' ministry, in our student ministry, where kids also are trying to be discipled, but we need leaders to, to teach. If your gift is in uh, hospitality, you're a part of this body, and this body needs you. It needs people to host life groups. It needs people to serve on our guest ministry team. If you gift isn't and and serving, whatever it may be, and helps, there are different kinds of opportunities. You are a part of this body, and this body needs you. Today, I wish I had time to share with you stories of individuals who catch this, who realize what their gift is in their serving. I wish I had time to share with you, for example, the story of Margie Craig, She's been a member here at the church for many years. And every week, not only does she put the connection cards inside the programs that you're holding right now, but she's also on that curriculum prep team that I mentioned. And she comes every Sunday to clear out the trash can so that the trash doesn't sit all day, and to walk through our rows to pick up those little communion cups that we leave there. See, I wish I had time to share with you her story because she's someone who's been serving this church for years and she understands that the job's not finished yet. I Also wish I could share with you the story of Adam and Nicole Nelson, who both have jobs. One is a teacher, the other in the medical field. They have four kids, one under the age of two, one in preschool, one in elementary, and one in middle school. They live in Brecken County. However, they're using their gifts of leadership to help in organizing events and coordinating Sunday mornings to support the elementary ministry here. Say, I wish I had time to share their story with you because they understand that even though their lives are busy, they're a part of this body and they have a role to play in it. Or I wish I could share with you the story of Jason Prater, young professional, married, who serves on our worship team. He's serving this morning in our sound booth. See, I wish I had time to share his story with you, because not only does he spend the hours with the worship team, he also realized he has a gift in website design, and so he stepped up and used that gift to create our new church website. See, I wish I had time to share all these stories with you, many, many more like them. But this morning I have time just to share this one story, the story of James Jenkins and the Smith family. So let's check it out.
1: I, um, I have always had a passion for working with uh, children with special needs, in my field of profession being a speech uh, pathologist, and knew that uh, if, if and when the time ever came, that I definitely wanted to do an adoption, and I wanted to do a special needs adoption because it's uh, something that I'm passionate about with work, and it's also something that I'm just passionate about in general, and therefore. I also know that those are children that are more difficult to place when it comes to foster care with the medically fragile kids and the special needs kids because they are more uh, demanding of time and energy. I on the other hand, um, my entire
2: life growing up, never had really any exposure to people with uh, disabilities or special needs. I, I mean you would occasionally recognize or see someone, but not within our, you know, my own family that I have a personal connection with. So very early on in our relationship, we, Chris and I had always talked about, um, not necessarily before we had children, but we had talked about um, wanting to, wanting to eventually adopt and or foster and with her background and her passion for special needs that just kind of worked its way into the into the conversation. I was the hard sell, um, but I remember a conversation that we had and I, I struggled with it for weeks and weeks. I mean, she had made her decision, we were ready to move forward with, you know, making that step um, into, Seeking out what it would take to become a foster home, and eventually, you know, getting into this. And I wrestled with it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I, and then finally, it, it just, it just kind of hit me, and the words just kind of came out of my mouth. That, I, and I, and I think I said, if it's important to you, then it's important to me.
1: Joey always went to the nursery for the longest time and uh, did really well. But then it got to be, he needed to be old enough to move into children's church. Um, with the older kids and his peers and that's been always our goal is to keep Joey with his peers uh, as much as possible and so, that Dylan approached us with uh, having a connection with James that he could uh, kind of be J- uh, Joey's mentor I guess is a good word for it <laughs> to assist him in children's church uh, and help him uh, you know go through with what happens in children's church making him comfortable um, helps him use his talker and, and work with the uh, interact with the other kids and and everything. Um, gives us a good comfort level that there's somebody each week who actually knows Joey and gets comfortable with Joey and is uh, um, making sure that he's having fun.
3: I've been coming to Plum Creek for probably around three years, but I really got involved last year when I joined Life Group and it really. My faith has grown so much stronger just getting to come in here, work with Joey, and see his smile on his face, like, it gives you the push to keep going doing what you're doing because you see that you're at least making an impact like what you're doing is helping others. I can really now, I think, see and
2: understand how other families Maybe have uh, either one or or more than one child with with special needs or, or any kind of a uh, disability, and and they want to be able to go to church. I could see how that could be a limitation for them. Or you know, is do does the uh, does the church have a facility to accommodate my child? Do they have some? Is it, is that is the child going to be safe? Is there someone gonna, you know, what if this happens, what if that happens? And maybe I'm sitting in service, but my mind's not there, because I'm worried about, you know, what's going on in the classroom where my child is. And so, I I mean, James is, is kind of the perfect example of, of that, how we drop him off. Joey is thrilled and excited to see James. James is thrilled and excited to see Joey. And we don't have to worry about, you know, his, his care or, is he having fun is he safe is he okay so now we can go and focus on the service
3: like do what i'm doing with joey like being a buddy basically like one-on-one i think it can really help work with other kids with special needs that don't have anyone and families can bring them in and they know like someone's going to be there with their child every sunday that knows who they are they can They're going to be able to make sure that the other students that are in there with them are going to see their interactions and I think, I also think that's like a big point is making sure that the other kids in the room are accepting of the kids. They know who they are. They're going to include them in whatever it is that they're doing.
0: This story's pretty near and dear to my heart because in the video, James talked about joining a life group, and that was actually the life group that my wife Cassie and I lead, and chances are, unless you're in our life group, you don't know James because he's a quiet and reserved guy, but I'm telling you, I have seen God do some incredible things in James' life over the last year, and shortly after James joined our life group, I connected him with the Smith family because I knew that James was going to school to, for a special needs education. And so, week after week, James was and is that faithful buddy for Joey. But over the course of this summer, James and I got to meet several times to do a Bible study, and towards the end of the summer, we started going through the book of Acts. And Acts chapter 6, it talks about some of the early church leaders. And I joked with James, and I told him, James, I've got a perfect ministry for you to lead. See, I already knew the heart of the Smiths, and I had talked with Smiths more than a year ago about the need in our community of families with kids with special needs, how it's very challenging for them to find a church and be a part of one just because of some of those barriers that Randy shared in the video. But this joke for James turned into a challenge and a realization that he is a gifting and a passion, that he could lead a ministry here at our church using his gifts that would support families here with special needs, but also that has the potential to reach people who are not here yet who still need to hear the message about Jesus. James realized he's a part of this body. He had a role to play in helping edify the church and accomplish its mission. And so with the passion and leadership of James that he's bringing to the table, we're going to launch a special needs ministry in 2019. But we need the body, the church, to step up. And today you can get more information about that and how you can be a part at the Information Center. You can meet James out there and sign up to get more information. But whether it's a, in, spiritual, in special needs ministry or in guest services or worship or with students or kids or sharing center or tutoring, you have a vital and important role that you can play in the church. See, when the church fails to do the work of Christ, it becomes the corpse instead of the body of Christ. When even one part of the body is not doing its part, it slows down and holds back the body from accomplishing the mission. And let me let you in on something this morning. The church here at Plum Creek is not interested in being pulled back, nor of becoming a corpse. We are too passionate and too committed to reaching people with the love and the message of Jesus. And the church, church universal, It's God's plan to finish what Christ started. It will never die. That's why Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what I'm saying this morning is this. If you're just sitting passively by and not using your gifts, or you're just waiting around for someone else to do the work, you either need to step up or step out of the way. We're not interested in being slowed down because we have a mission, a proclamation about the person of Jesus that this world needs to hear, And we want to be a part of what God's doing in the world. And God wants you to be a part of it too. But the choice is yours. You can choose to be a part of the body of Christ who has an eternal mission, or you can sit passively by and watch God accomplish it through others. Let's stand and sing this song. And as we do, let it be our prayer of who we are as the church.